Welcome to a special edition of the What's a Revolution show. Today, I am in Oakland, California, and I am partnering with the Prevention Institute, the Movember Foundation, and members of the Making Connections team from across the country to have a candid conversation about masculinity in context. Making Connections for Mental Health and Well-Being Among Men and Boys is a national initiative to transform community conditions that influence mental well-being. Populations of focus include men and boys of color, veterans, military members, and their families. Sixteen coalitions in rural, urban, and suburban locations across the U.S. are activating strategies to improve conditions that can affect the well-being of men, boys, and their families, including social connections, economic and educational opportunities and assets, and improvements in the physical environment. I am happy today to be joined by several members from Making Connection teams across the site. With me today is Ayo Scott, new member from the New Orleans Baking Connections team. Brother, what's going on? How you doing? Not too much. Not too much. Good to be here. Great to see you. We have Lisa Philippon from Canton. Lisa, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Wonderful. Thank you for being here. And we also have Baruch Campos from Albuquerque. Baruch, how are you? Doing very well. Wonderful, wonderful. So let's get started. And since this is a special edition of the What's a Revolution show, partnered with uh, Prevention and the Movember Foundation, I still need to be able to ask my signature question to all of you all. So, what's your revolution? My revolution stems from the fact that I am a gold star mother. I lost my son in Iraq in 2005. He mm. was serving with the Marines. I'm sorry um, to hear that. Thank you. We, we know that they're, the ethos of our men and women who serve is to have each other's back. And so I believe when they have to lay that torch down, it's our responsibility when they come home to pick that up and take care of them. And so they don't come home to programs. They come home to communities. Mm. And so we need to be able to bridge that gap for them between civilian life and military life. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Ayo, what's your revolution, brother? I think I tie all things into the concept of passing it on. Uh, when you ask my father, or if you told my father, thank you, he didn't say you're welcome. He said, pass it on. Mm. If you want to do something, if you want to pay me back, you got to do something for somebody else to pay it forward. And ultimately, we're all helping everyone else. Like, it kind of just grows exponentially when we all look out for one another. And I think that that's the, the real thing is to not keep any of our blessings to ourselves, but to always do what we can for others. Right, right. And that goes back, actually, to what Lisa is saying as well. Uh, being able to make sure that our soldiers come home to community, that we pass it on. I, I love both what you said, and like you said, saying thank you, no. Not saying you're welcome, but no, pass that blessing on. And that, that is a wonderful thing. Brothers, tell me a little bit about what you do mm-hmm. in New Orleans. I, I guess I wear a lot of hats. At times I'm an educator, whether it be extended substitute work at my alma mater or uh, doing community programming with different organizations or doing lectures at, at NOMA based on some exhibit they may bring in. NOMA is the New Orleans Museum of Art. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, I, honestly, like being an artist in general is a challenging way to make a living because there's no direct formula. It's usually like trying to piece together as many different things as mm, possible. Exactly. And honestly, this opportunity with making connections is really a beautiful one for me because it fit into what I was doing already just as a part of the, the artistic community in New Orleans 
but trying to harness resources towards what it is that I was doing and actually putting some funding towards what I've already been trying to do out of pocket. Exactly. And we're going to get to a question later on where I think that your expertise is going to really, really come out as we talk about some of the alternatives that we need to be able to provide for our men around what are some things other than playing football or basketball or sports that can provide that still that level of masculinity that we need. Baruch, coming to you, what's your revolution? I think my revolution really starts with myself. Growing up, a lot of domestic violence in my house, I feel like my revolution is really kind of working on myself because that would really impact my work with the young people that I work with. Right. So it's definitely tackling on that toxic masculinity that we see so much in our communities, especially communities of colors like where I grew up. Right, right. Can I ask you, Baruch, you talked about working on yourself. What does that look like for you? So for me, it's just practice what you preach. So as a community organizer, I tend to sometimes catch myself putting other people before myself. Right. And so I really always have to kind of check myself to take care of myself, right? Is that kind of um, self-care. Yeah, exactly. So really taking mm-hmm. that Hashtag self-care, exactly. Yeah. So I'm going to press a little bit more, Baruch. On a, you know, you have a hard day, right? You, you've put yourself behind others. You've given that work. You've given yourself. You say, you know what? I've got to practice some self-care tonight. What does that look like for you? Art. Art. I'm a drawer. I've been drawing ever since I was young. I never took any art classes. I'm pretty good at it. But drawing is just something that's always really gotten me through the day. Right. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Let's jump into this conversation because the time is going to go by so quickly. And I am grateful for the work that Making Connections is doing around the country. Uh, We're opening these conversations about mental health and well-being for men in various contexts. When we think of masculinity and masculinities, because I have to say that as the, as the researcher and scholar that I am, uh, and masculinity comes in various forms. Masculinity is a very fluid construct. How would you say that masculinity shows up in your community? Like, what does it look like? If I say these are the men in your community and we would say this is the standard, what does it look like for you? Lisa, I want to come to you first. I feel that it looks like we are brave and we are strong and we can't let anything touch us. Mm. We need to be able to handle everything as far as having served in the military. We need to handle things disciplined and in control and not let anyone see your weakness. Right. Pain is weakness leaving the body. Right. That that is a mantra for the Marines. Mm, Right. Exactly. So just to make sure people understand, the Canton Making Connections site really is focused on veterans. Correct. Right. What are some of what is some of the work that you all are doing there? Actually, we've been able to go into the 103rd Airlift Wing. So we are working with airmen that are serving active duty and on a reserve level and going in and working with their green dot programs and helping them learn the characteristics of resilience. Mm. So just helping to strengthen them. We also are in the middle school this past year teaching upstream and knowing that some of these kids are going to grow up and become veterans. Right. And so we are in the schools teaching them how to ask for help, how to get along with bullies. It seems kind of odd. It's common sense things. <laughs> but we're, we're needing to teach our kids that. And now this year we've been asked to carry it on into the high school. Right. And so that we, transition is key. Correct. And we also have done some work with motorcycle clubs. Oh, wow. In, giving them peer training and QPR, suicide awareness training. And we are in the communities 
um, working with social services and senior centers, having community dinners and community mm, breakfasts. Right. It's amazing. Right. <laughs> it, it sounds like amazing work, Lisa. Thank you for sharing. And even through all of the work that you're doing, you see the opportunities for the work. Yes. Right. And I put that in quotation mark, the work that is necessary, like you said. Yes. Um, having men really unearth some of their pain. Oh, absolutely. Right. And that, that is key. Uh, we talk about a lot on the show about vulnerability and vulnerability from a, a military context is something that is, at least in my pur my purview, is something that is shied away from because vulnerability, particularly in instance of combat, Correct. may get you killed. Weakness. Correct. Yeah, exactly. And how do we then, as our veterans come home, make sure that they have the ability to then release some of the stress and tension, allow themselves to be vulnerable, to open up? Because without that vulnerability, they are harboring the tensions and stressors that may lead to some of the pain that may exacerbate, right, Absolutely. some of the mental health issues that we're seeing. Absolutely. And educating the communities as well about the challenges that the veterans have, but also about the value that they bring exactly. to their employers and to their communities. That's a wonderful thing. Thank you so much, Lisa. Ayo, mm -hmm. dear brother from New Orleans, you know, you hear that, New Orleans. <laughs> You've grown up there. Yes, sir. And uh, man, you're making me feel old with the sir. It's a, it's a. I know it's a New it's Orleans. A southern, yeah, yeah it's a southern. <laughs> it, it is definitely a southern thing. I have been living in New Orleans for 13 years, and so say, bro, how you feel? You know, what I'm saying, yeah, baby, what's going on? <laughs> I want to know, as a man who's grown up and been born and bred in New Orleans, what does masculinity look like for you? That's a really interesting question. I, I feel I've always had, I guess, a certain level of blinders on. There's a lot mm. that I've looked past. I was blessed to have an amazing father in my life. I was blessed to have both of my parents in my life. So many of the people around me came from non-traditional homes or some might say broken homes or single parent homes and some other things. But being able to have a father around me who was a professor of art for 40 years and, wow. and to just see such an amazing role model mm -hmm. as well as a great family person. I'll be honest, I was really naive to a lot of what other people around me were, were dealing with. Right. So to me, when you ask what masculinity looks like to me, what I'm used to seeing I see my father and or his friends, other professors. Mm -hmm. um, I see coaches, not to always bring things back to sports and stuff, but I see coaches that take entire teams of little kids who are just looking to go get into some trouble and just keep them occupied to the point where they fall in love with something as simple as running a ball up and down the field. <laughs> I see both sides of the really positive, strong image of what I've always known as masculinity as well as the shortcomings that I see people associating with masculinity, like being what, stubborn what, yeah, and okay, being, you go. Exactly. being unwilling to, to listen to reason, mm -hmm. to feel like either you're always right or you're just not going to let someone see that you're wrong. Right. It makes it a challenge to communicate with other people who look just like you, which makes it hard to relate to yourself at times even. Like, you know, really, it's a lot that comes from that. Exactly. Exactly. Thank you, Ayo. Bruce, let me ask you this question. As you hear the stories from Lisa and Ayo about what masculinity may look like. What are some of the issues in Albuquerque that come up for men that they have to deal with that you're seeing in your activist work as a community organizer, right? And thinking about that, what are some of the issues that men are dealing with in your community? One of the things that I've learned a lot from the work and from my personal experience is that there's, especially in a neighborhood that I come from, uh, in Albuquerque, is that there's a lack of positive male role models. Mm, exactly. There's a lot of specifically men of color who are actually in poverty. They're addicted to certain substances because of the same structure of that poverty. So one of the biggest issues is the positive male role models they lack in a lot of the young people's lives. Mm -hmm. 
in our neighborhood. And because of the stressors that they're experiencing, you, you're seeing some of the toxic behavior. You're seeing drug use. I remember being in Albuquerque probably in the fall and watching a young man and a young lady shoot up in the middle of the street. And it was normalized. People were walking past and not really saying anything. And it was really interesting because I turned to my friend. I was like, is that really happening? She's like, yes, we, it has become normal, normalized here in Albuquerque. That's that toxic behavior uh, that is very interesting. So if we think about some of the toxic behavior that we may see across our, our context. How are the Making Connections teams working around these issues that may occur that may illuminate toxic or hyper-masculine behavior with the men in your communities? Lisa? I think the strongest method would be through the providing the peers so that they have someone that they can connect with. A veteran connects best with another veteran. In fact, right. that's really the only way that they do connect. Right, exactly. There's that opportunity for shared awareness and shared stories. Like right. There's no, nobody else is going to get mm-hmm. being in the combat arena like someone else who has. And um, our Vietnam veterans, they were very strong proponents in making sure that the servicemen and women of today come home properly. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, because they were treated so poorly when it, they came exactly. home. Exactly. And so they, they make wonderful peers because they, they get it. Right. They've been under fire themselves. For a long, a long time. Mm-hmm. And you saw, if you paid attention, and uh, I'm a child of the 70s, mm-hmm. and watching men come back to our communities who mm-hmm. were overseas in Vietnam uh, and the struggles that they faced, the struggles of acceptance post-Vietnam. Uh, as we were going through, uh, as America was going through its conscious phase and really disengaging from our veterans. Um, so very, very interesting now to make sure that we take hold. And I love mm-hmm. that you stated that the Vietnam vets at one point being cast aside are now making sure that our veterans are coming back and we can hold on to them. I feel like, too, it's come to me recently that um, as we've lost World War One veterans, right. mm-hmm. we've, we're watching World the II. World War Two fade away, mm-hmm. and now it's starting with the Vietnam veterans. And it's, I feel like, another call to action and perhaps a big help for the younger veterans will be stepping up and taking care of those. Exactly. Paying back right. to e- the e- Vietnam e- exactly. veterans. Exactly. I love the part that you said that veterans, you know, have that ability to hear each other. The key, I think, as we move forward is allowing ourselves as men to be able to open up to others who may not have that experience, but have the skill sets to help them work through that process as well. Aruch, what are you seeing in your communities? How is making connections, helping men work through the hyper-masculine or toxic masculinity that may, may show up in the community? In our Making Connections project, we, we strongly believe that young people can and should be leaders in all levels. Mm. And so I definitely have to echo that peer mentorship that we are looking for. It definitely is a mixture of older and younger, but our focus is really how can we have our young people mentor other young people. Exactly. And so one of the things for this year three timeline um, that we're looking at is we're actually going to be working in some of the middle schools. That synergy, and I think that's one of the key things that we are hoping to get while we're here this week is that to hear the opportunity to share stories, to share strategy, you know, and how your middle school program could be beneficial to your middle school program and what you could bring out of it. It may not, it may not fold in 
together like you know you may think but there's some strategies that you could take away and so that's a, that is a wonderful thing are there any other ways that you think about that making connections is showing up for men and allowing them to release that toxic or hyper masculinity for us is really we really believe in that space to actually have those conversations and so bringing young men of color in particular from that neighborhood having them come together and us having those conversations is a big part of it looking at our environment at our experience through gender equity lens is a big part of right. it right just for the novice what is you say that gender equity lens what is that so we i believe that a lot of domestic violence a lot of violence against women happens because there's a big inequity when it comes to how we perceive males and females. We have different accesses. As males, we have a lot more access to opportunities than women do. Mm -hmm. And that's a reality that we see in our communities. And so gender equity is just giving that push to where women have those same opportunities as their male peers. Exactly. And, and bringing them into the space and having those critical conversations. It's interesting. We are living in the Time's Up Me Too era. It is sad, actually, that we have to live in an era where we have to label it Me Too and Time's Up. With the proceedings of Judge Kavanaugh and what's coming out of that, about that, what we've seen over the last year with um, men on high purchase who have fallen because of their behavior, being equitable across the board is key. And having men understand their role uh, in relations to people, we just... We can't stop at women. We have to think about the intersectionality of people mm -hmm. and how men are often the harbingers of pain to various groups of people. And so we have to think about how we show up. And that's one of the critical pieces that we talk about on the show. How do men show up for other people? And so I'm glad that you all are doing that critical work and that critical conversation in New Mexico. Let's move the conversation forward a little bit. I want to talk more about what is it like when men and boys come together in space? What does that feel like? And what's so special about it? Aya, what do you think? When, when we come together in space, particularly from a New Orleans perspective, what does that look like and, and what makes it special? When I think about New Orleans and young black men and boys coming together, I think about the, the tradition of the Mardi Gras Indians. Mm. Um, for those who aren't from New Orleans, there's a, a tradition in New Orleans of black men primarily there are some women in the culture who are identified as queens and whatnot, although it's a mainly patriarchal system. But the tradition is passed down largely from older men to younger men of how to make these beaded costumes that pay tribute to the Native Americans who helped runaway slaves during that era. But also over time, there's just a lot of African traditions that made their way into modern New Orleans traditions in a way that doesn't really happen in other places. And it's magical. People come from all over the world to see this. There's these costumes that they make take a year at least to exactly. make. And many of them are on like display in the Smithsonian now. I mean, like truly magical Beautiful. hybrids of different cultures speaking through both abstract and literal imagery within the, the suits. But to see not just the suits themselves, but the way that these people interact with each other, to know that every year they start from scratch to build a new suit and every person who joins into one of these tribes has to learn from step one through whenever. Each year the suits get more and more intricate and to just see the, the embracing of a tradition and to understand where we fall in line with our elders and where we take responsibilities for pulling up those younger people under us, that kind of situation is one that I think New Orleans is definitely special about, but that's the, the kind of magic that I, can, I see right. within that. 
I grew up in a in a martial arts school okay. that is uniquely New Orleans, right. uh, Blue Lion Academy, and the principles that they taught were halfway based on Japanese Shotokan, but halfway based on the principles of Kwanzaa and a lot of the, mm, the black right. principles that were a part of the civil rights movement. And the school was largely run by black men and women. And over time, it was a, it was more diverse. But to see these rooms of young children of color under mentorship of, of older black men, it was something that I grew up as a normal thing that I, I'm you know, sadly, I, it's not as common everywhere. But right. but when you see it, it's just magical to see. It is. And let me speak a little bit since I've been working with the New Orleans team for three years. We've been running a healthy masculinity conversation for the last three months uh, in the St. Rock neighborhood of New Orleans. And we have been able to really open up a vulnerable space for the men in the community. And when I ask this question, what does it look like for men and boys to come together? That's that space, that space where we have an intergenerational room from 16 to 60, where there is no disdain for each other, uh, where there is love and congeniality, there is help, there is openness, there is smile and laughter. And that is something that is so critical when we show up. That's what makes it special, I think, when men have the opportunity to laugh and smile. Uh, and we take that for granted, that, that laughter and touch. Again, going back to, as you said, that the ability to receive touch, I think it's also critical when we show for each other. A hug means so much. And so, Lisa, coming to you, how do men and boys come together in space in your community? This is really exciting. We just um, received news that we are being given a space at the 103rd Air Wing. Right. So we are going to be able to bring peers together in that space, you know, the airmen to airmen, and the women are called airmen as well. Right. To clarify that. <laughs> so I spoke about the middle school program, how we've been able to go in and teach characteristics of resilience. We also have airmen that are going in with us, and they are working with the kids as well. And so you're breaking that barrier of the civilian life again with the military life. And these airmen are setting wonderful examples for these boys um, are really learning and, right, exactly. and, and looking up to mm -hmm. these mentors that mm -hmm. they have. Exactly. Um, you. And we have a saying in New Orleans, you can't be what you can't see. And so... Mm. You know, in your community there and can, you know, and with a strong military perspective there, young men and women uh, and the research is out there about how both men and women have an impact on boys and girls. It's really great to see that, that they have the ability to come in space and be together. But Roots, what does that look like, you know, as you are thinking about how men show up together? What does that look like for you and your community? It's magical. We like to provide that space where young men are able to be vulnerable, mm -hmm. right? Or to just try it. Yes, yeah. unpack that, unpack, because I, I love that. What do you mean, just try it? A lot of the times growing up as young men in our household, in our community, sometimes we don't have the opportunity to be vulnerable around our friends. A lot of the times when we get together with our friends, it's always, it's a very stereotypical thing, but it's like sports. Right. Right? We talk about sports, or we talk about women in a very demeaning way. Yes. Or talk right. about each other in a demeaning way. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It, it, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. So to really be in that space and having young men have these really deep, intimate conversations and learning together, that reminds me why I'm doing what I'm doing is because of those moments. Right. It's those little moments where two people click 
and they connect with each other. They find similarities in their lives. And even trying new things, something that Together for Brothers likes to do with our young men of color circles Mm -hmm. is we actually cook together. Boom. Um, Tell the story. And (laughs) I mean, a lot of young people go in there and they don't, they've never cut a vegetable in their lives, right? Because they're so used to going home and like their moms, their aunts, their sisters doing that for them. Right. So it's really something very special when it's like, oh man, I could do this at home. It's like, yeah, you can. It's like, that's the whole point, right? And eating together too. We we cook for each other, we eat together. And so I think that's something very powerful when we actually see it in action. Exactly. Thank you so much. You talk about just trying and I, and I love that trying new things, trying out spaces that we haven't normally been socialized to go in. And that gets me back to you. I, as I talked about, you know, these alternatives, you being the artist, we did a paint and sip in New Orleans. <laughs> and I was a little nervous about doing that. Mm-hmm. It's New Orleans, New Orleans men. We had 10 men. It was our most engaged activity that we've had to date. And why is trying, as Baruch just said, trying new things opportunistic and positive for men as they're exploring their masculinity? I have to... I have to echo what Baruch said a a moment ago that I think a lot of times when we're with our peers, the people that we're most comfortable with aren't necessarily always allowing us to be most comfortable. And and in that, I don't think that people try new things because of the, the simple fears of being judged for nothing. But there's something that happens when you do try new things and, and allow yourself to be vulnerable. You can't become good at something that you've never tried. Exactly. And Lean into the discomfort of it. You, yeah. Like you, you have to embrace the idea of learning something new and being able to fail at it before you get good at it. And if you think you're good, everything you do, you're going to be good at immediately. I mean, you're living in a, a whole different bubble. I love the idea of, of just trying it. I don't think I've heard it put that way before, but I think that it's important. And even just for the sake of trying random things, I almost want, I mean, just want to think of a list of things that people should try together just for the sake of seeing what could be unpacked from that process. So if you had to prescribe something, mm-hmm. what would it be? If you gave, if, if somebody came to ceramics, say, ceramics, mm-hmm. get them. So as a, <laughs> as a visual, as a visual artist, I've had to teach, uh, I've taught everything from collage to graphic design to drawing and painting and stuff like that. I had a couple of students a few years ago. I was at a school that had a lot of behavior problems. I think most of my class was spent telling children to sit down and be quiet or chasing them down the hall to come back more so than actually getting to do art instruction. And I remember at the beginning of like the second semester, I went to one of my old professors and I got some clay and I was like, oh, instead of doing this 2D stuff, I'm going to try clay with him. I might regret this because I'm going to have to move all of this clay from place to place, et cetera. But when I did that, I got a response out of these kids that I never saw before. And it was as soon as their hands were dirty and they were building something, moving something with their hands that changed shape and they did it. I swear you just saw light bulbs all over the classroom. There's one kid, of course, throwing clay across the the, the library. But other than that one kid, they were never quieter. They were never more thankful for the opportunity. Like the kids didn't thank me for bringing in magazines and teaching them how to cut and put stuff together. But when I brought clay in there, it, it, it did something different to them. And I think it's mainly something that none of them in there really had experience with. So none of them felt as self-conscious about trying it. All of them were at a blank slate together. And I think they all jumped into the water together. Right. And I think that something like ceramics isn't something that's you know readily accessible to everybody. And something like that is something I would try to throw out to 
I'm imagining a lot of people haven't tried, but would probably be really surprised how much right. they'd enjoy it. That's interesting. I'm thinking about Ghost right now when you say Saran. Mm-hmm. You know? It's also just crazy therapeutic. I mean, right. like the, it's really, it's really, even if you just smash it down after you're done with it, it's, right. it's ridiculous to catch. It, exactly. Lisa, let me ask you this question. Knowing this is a male-centric, male-dominated, you know, making connections about, you know, men and boys and well-being. How do we ensure that we bring other people along in the journey? You know, you are working in this realm. How do we make sure that other women, other people are involved and have a voice in what's going on with men? And how do we have how do we ensure that men are actually even receptive to that? Well, I think that you've just got to go grab them and bring them along. That's, <laughs> you're coming with me. I, I just think educating the communities and just reaching out. And that's one of the things that I is I guess is my strength in, in the loss of my son is mm. reaching out to others in the community and educating them. And, and so through our programs with showing a movie called Almost Sunrise um, about moral injury, it just making opportunities for people to come together, really, to be educated. Right, right. What do you, and serve, to serve as well, to come and work alongside of us. Um, we have volunteers that come and serve at the air base mm-hmm. and um, the coffee hours and the, the breakfasts and such. Right. What would you say to those people who are coming along? Mm-hmm. You know, um, we talk about cultural competency in a, a lot of the work that we do. What would you say as, as people are going to volunteer that one or two things that they need to know to make sure they are really showing up in the room for the men they're, they're about to serve? Communication. They've got to sit with them and listen to them. The whole eating thing <laughs> right. is huge. Breaking bread, it is very exactly. big. Exactly. Just the communication is the greatest and the most simplest action. Sharing the stories of your relatives that served and, and such. Right. So. On the flip side, I don't know, at least I'm asking you a lot of questions about this one. I think your expertise will come out huge here. What would you say to the veterans? To you mm-hmm. know, what, what, what would be that one or two tidbits that you would give them to say, okay, these people are coming to volunteer and be with you. Mm-hmm. How, do, how would you say, this is how I want you to show up? Oh, I, I want you to be there to lead by example. You, you have this leadership that you've learned in the military. and Your help is needed to lead the communities and the civilians to understand, to help your brothers and sisters in arms. Right, right. Lead by example. I love that. We're coming to a close. And um, I told you this time was going to go by so fast. Um, and it always does. And I appreciate your candidness, openness, uh, and thoughtfulness as it comes to thinking about masculinity in context, the work of making connections. If you had an opportunity to look down the road in your the vision ball, you know, <laughs> back in the day, I can't, I can't remember, and you could see the future, what would you want to say? What would you want the men in the community to look like after having been influenced by making connections? I want them to look confused as to how there ever wasn't an opportunity for them to be as comfortable and connected oh, to their wow. community. I'd want, I'd wanna, what I'd wanna see is for someone to wonder how did this ever not exist this way? For them to be as confused about what the future, I mean, the past <laughs> looks like as we are about how the future could right. be that much clearer. I'd really just want all of the things that we've talked about in, in other sessions, if we could put all of that together, I'd want that to look foreign to whoever's in the Right, future. right. This toxic masculinity that we see, this hyper-masculinity that comes out, all of the issues that we deal with in New Orleans, like, yo, this is what was going on? I mean, Albuquerque sounds pretty serious, Yeah, too. no doubt. Baruch, 
10 um, years from now, you know, your work, you know what I'm saying? How old will you be then 10 years from now? 33. 33, right? <laughs> we always think about our legacy. And you're looking at the men in the community that have been impacted by making connections. What do you um, want to see? In my particular community, I really want to see these young people who are now, would now in 10 years be men, to really see themselves as assets to their community, mm -hmm. to see themselves as people who can change the world. Because in my particular neighborhood, it's so difficult to see yourself as an asset, see yourself as someone that can make change, and definitely working together along with our sisters and the people around us. Right. Thank you so much. Assets. We want to remember that as assets to the community. Lisa, we'll give you the final words. How do you want to see 10 years from 10 now? 10 years down the road, um, boy, I think we all would like to say there's no more war. Mm. Um, speak that, that, that speak that truth, Lisa. Yeah, and that would be our certainly our prayer. Right. But I'm, I'm not sure that that's <laughs> 10 years down the road. We've been in Afghanistan for 17 years. Right. So I would like to see our men and women able to come back and not feel so isolated mm. and alone right. that they are able to go into the barber and they're able to go into the dentist and say, I'm having a bad time. I'm having these flashbacks. And that dentist or that barber being able to say, you know what? I know you can go talk to these people. Right. The, the communities need to be educated on the resources that are available for our veterans. Right. I just want them to be able to come home and feel wanted and cared for right and appreciated right. wonderful yeah exactly and interesting that you say that there are trainings now for barbers mm. you know to provide mental health in our communities and so that is something critical for men where do you go go to the barber the barbershop has been that space mm. where men talk openly yeah, I, clearly, I haven't been to the barber in like a long time, but I remember. Yeah, I, I do remember that that camaraderie that comes out of the barbershop. So thank you so much. And what you're saying, just to reiterate, that when our men and women come home from war, that they have a space to feel their needs can be met and that the community is actually educated and ready for them. And willing to bring them into their places of employment right. and use their intangible qualities right. to better their business. Thank you so much. This has been a wonderful conversation. Um, as you can see, I love doing this. Uh, it is a wonderful time. I've enjoyed the conversation. I just want to thank you all for joining me today on this special edition of the What's a Revolution show, partnered with the Prevention Institute and the Movember Foundation and the Making Connection sites around the country. We appreciate everything that you do, and we wish you the best as you go back into your communities and work with men as they find and embrace the healthiest versions of themselves. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. All right.